Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another fine edition of Ghost Chronicles International, right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, Ghost Channel, and beyond, so, so beyond. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. What the is... The gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good evening. That was a very um, considered introduction to the show tonight. Whatever. All right, then. Anyways, we're switching it up tonight. We're uh, not chasing ghosts. We're going to chase monsters instead. Uh, Monsters are cool with me. You know me. I like to uh, occasionally go and look for Loch Ness Monster. You know, that's the thing that kind of annoys me. I write, I, I wrote to this guy who does the Ogo Pogo logo one, and uh, he was all interested, and then he says, why would I go on a ghost show? I says, because it's so much more than ghosts. Yeah, well, there were. Well, bless him, there you go. Because uh, I... You know, it's kind of fascinating, isn't it? Because uh, there's been a raging controversy about ghosts for hundreds of years, the same as there has been about some of these lake monsters. I know you have them over there in the States. Nessie's always fascinated me. Um, Obviously not as much as ghosts do, but uh, I I, I went up there, I've been up there a few times to see for myself uh, what, what all the fuss was about. And, you know, I found... I found um, sufficient to keep me interested. I found that a lot of the witnesses were very compelling. A lot of the evidence was compelling equally. There's some evidence, particularly the photographic evidence, um, is very much open to question. That kind of applies as well also to the ghosts, I guess. So uh, there, there are many, many similarities. So... I don't see why why perhaps Mr. Monster Hunter was was uh, objecting quite so much. Uh whatever. You know, I, I somebody from the UK sent me some lovely Loch Ness water, and I make my tea with it. So I, I <laughs> so I'm trying I'm trying to connect to the the, the uh, Loch Ness monster. Anyways. <laughs> So, anyways, let's bring on someone who knows a lot more about monsters than I do, and she is the author of several books. Uh, she is Lind- Linda Godfrey. Linda, are you there? I'm here, yes. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Hi. So, you are a monster hunter? Well, I guess that would be the simplest way of putting it. <laughs> I- That's pretty simple. I, yeah, I, I don't walk around the woods with a you know rifle or anything like that, but I do do field work, um, and I search not only in terms of research but also you know out in the field and and uh, taking reports from people all over the country and the world. So I guess you could call that hunting. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's investigating, hunting, whatever you want. It's all synatics, right. you know, to me anyways. It's like some people don't like being called ghost hunters or, or ghostbusters or whatever. It's, it's, right. it's just somatics. You know what you do, and I know what I do. And to me, that's all that really matters. But Steve is another bird. It, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still searching for the truth about me. Mm-hmm. Aren't we so, all? So, Linda, uh, how did you get interested in your pursuit of cryptozoology? Well, I'd always been interested in paranormal and offbeat things, but I hadn't really thought too much about cryptids until it was about uh, 22 years ago, and I had just started at an area newspaper as a reporter when people in my hometown started calling our county animal control officer and saying that they saw this thing. They didn't know what it was, but if there was such a thing as a werewolf, this would be it. And it was a large wolf-like or German shepherd-like creature that walked and ran on two legs. And that's what really freaked people out. Chased a few of their cars, you know, acted menacing and aggressive, though it never hurt anyone. So, um, since there appeared that there was some unknown large predator and we had the county animal control officer on the case, that really made it news. And I uh, went ahead and, and wrote the story thinking it would just be a local thing. And within two weeks, it went national. And I began immediately receiving reports from all around the country from people who had seen other types of weird things and this sort of creature. And also the media started coming to me because for a very long time, you know, it's changed in the last couple of years, but for a very long time, I was pretty much the only person in the country that was interested in and had been working on collecting a large mass of contemporary sightings of something that looked like a werewolf, even though I don't believe they're werewolves. Well, that's, that's, yeah, actually, you know, I always thought the werewolf was a myth. Uh, of course, there's that famous case in France that uh, was. The Beast that? of Javadan? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's mm-hmm. the one. Yeah, I've written about that in several books. Yeah, and that was. Um, there's, there's still really no evidence that it was a human changing into a wolf. And one, possibly two, very large sort of wolf-like creatures were killed. At least one was paraded through the village dead after um, hundreds of animals had been killed and some pe- and people. You know, it really took quite a toll. And um, there are a lot of different theories. Some people think that it was a hyena being kept as a pet by local noblemen. Other people think it was just some, uh, you know, prehistoric thing that somehow wandered into France from who knows where. Um, nobody knows for sure what it was, but it was quite different, you know, than the things that people report today, as well as being quite different from um, a human changing into a, a wolf. Right. So, I mean, do you, do you, do you discern between the two? I mean, uh, you do? Between, you know, between um, werewolves and the creatures that people report to me? Oh, yes. Okay. And so, uh, I, well, I guess I'm trying to f- figure out, uh, is, so the, the werewolf would not be a dogman, for instance. You, I know you use that term dogman. Uh, right. Yeah. And the term, there are so many terms, you know, there, my, my favorite term that fits the best is 
unknown upright canine because that's all we really do know about it. But the terms, you know, dog man, wolf man, man wolf, uh, lugaru, that sort of thing, uh, get used in different parts of the country. And as far as I can tell, according to my reports, um, you know, at least 90% of them or so all refer to the same thing. You know, they they just describe the same features over and over. But it does not have it. There's absolutely no evidence that it's a human changing into a wolf. And um, I actually really don't believe that this is bodily true. I think there may be some um, types of supernatural manifestations that look like um, these wolf beings that are in a whole different category, but I don't think they're people changing bodily into wolves and vice versa either. I think there are other, um, you know, means by which that could happen. You say supernatural. Um, I, is that the line that you're that you're favouring as opposed to perhaps some sort of unknown as yet undiscovered um, animal? Well, you know, again, I try to keep my reporter's hat on to a certain degree and go by what people are reporting. You know, not not opinions, but what they actually see and how the creature actually behaves. And like I said, in at least 90% of the cases, it doesn't do anything supernatural. You know, just because it's walking on its hind legs, uh, that's unusual, especially for a wild creature, but it does happen. Canines have no trouble walking on their hind legs if they're motivated to or trained to. Um, in the wild, it usually happens if there's um, a, a mutilated or absent forelimb, but that hasn't happened. I've never had anybody describe one of these things with a missing forelimb. So the mystery is why they're walking on their hind legs, um, but it's not a supernatural thing. Um, they don't. Most of them don't have like glowing red eyes. Those land in the smaller percentage that I, you know, call either phantoms or uh, you know other. There are other terms for those things. Um, they don't attack the people physically. The people will feel like they're going to be attacked. They'll be terrified um, partly because they don't know what it is as much as anything. But it does also seem aggressive and it does seem to most people that it it's more intelligent and aware of them than a normal animal would be encountering them. Say um, a bear or something like or just an average wolf, something like that. Um, but as far as you know, morphing or um, performing any kind of super heroic feats or, you know, doing doing any of the things. There, there's no evidence of one being, you know, bitten by one and changing into a werewolf. There's no correlation with the full moon that I've been able to ascertain. You know, none of those mythic elements seem to um, have any part in most of these sightings. Right. I'm 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 interested you the, the reference to the to the canine uh, facial features because it strikes me now bear in mind I'm in the UK we don't have a native population of these uh uh bears but bears have got a very canine face. Uh mm-hmm. you know when you look at uh, some of the some of the species of bear they do look you know they have a very dog-like face and they do walk upright on their on their back legs. Are, are we not just are we not just dealing with um, you know uh, a bear sighting? I don't think so. Um, 
there are so many sightings where, you know, if somebody just says, well, I saw something brown and furry walking upright in the woods, but I couldn't see what it was, you know, then it's up for grabs. It could be a bear. It could be um, lots of other things. But um, so many people have very good sightings, and they will invariably, um, especially in the ones that I count as an actual sighting, um, they'll describe pointed upright ears on top of its head, a long snout, um, more like a German shepherd again, or a wolf, fangs, um, a, a narrow muzzle. They will describe here, and the, the big thing, you know, because I do all, always say, how are you sure that it wasn't a bear or a person in a fursuit, you know, one or the other, even though um, the person in the fursuit is unlikely in a lot of the locations. But here's the, the thing. When they get a good look at its body and its legs, and forelimbs especially, then they're quite sure that it's not a bear because bears have a much lower center of gravity. Their legs are a lot shorter. You know, oh. Yeah, pardon? It's all right. Skype, you dropped out for a second, so I started to talk. Oh. Um, My bad. Oh, no, that's okay. They, if you if you see a bear body, uh, for one thing, they don't chase people on their, on their hind legs Um and if they were, if it were bears always starting to chase people on their hind legs, that would be just as mysterious as if, as where, as wolves doing it, you know, for no apparent reason. But the other thing is, bears have a very low center of gravity. Their legs are shorter. They walk flat footed. And when a bear is walking on its hind legs, you know, it's, it's, it looks a lot more human like because it's got flat, uh, flat feet, um, rather than, these canines which walk on their toe pads and people will say when they're describing these these uh, upright canines they'll say well you know it was walking and running very easily but its legs were bent backwards and by that they mean what they, when i talk to them a little more that the ankle and um a heel joint that would be called the hock, you know, in an animal, is way up off the ground where we're expecting to see a knee bending forward. Um, it would be like we're on our tiptoes and, you know, the, the heel is going to point toward the back. Um, mm-hmm. So this is really different looking than a bear would be. Also, they're a lot uh, slimmer in the hips and the legs and um, uh, the four, even the forelimbs, the paws are much smaller. They have a very different silhouette, you know. So it's um, unlikely that very many. I always say there could be a few that are misidentified bears, but it would have to be a very small percentage. Okay, and this is discussed in your new book that's out, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I do have a chapter on on the upright uh, canines. Mm-hmm. And the name of your book is. It's called American Monsters, A History of Monster Lore, Legends, and Sightings in America. Okay, and that's available? Pretty much everywhere. Um, It's uh, published by Tartar Penguin, so it's at um, brick-and-mortar bookstores, online bookstores, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, You can find links at my website, which is lindagodfrey.com. So it's pretty well available. And I have a number of uh, other books that I wrote on just that topic. There was one, um, my, my most recent one before that is called Real Wolf Men, True Encounters in Modern America. And that has a good um, 
sampling of the best ones from my previous books. I think altogether I have four titles just on that creature alone, oh, plus wow. new plus new ones that that have come up since then. Uh, they asked me for the best of of the uh, the previous ones, and I also have another book just t- uh, titled Werewolves from uh, Chelsea House Press in New York. Okay, we have a question from the Parrax chat room and John uh, Monte uh, wants to know what part of Michigan uh, has she seen these animals in? Well, well, uh, well, we didn't really say that. Did you ever see one? So I guess that's a (laughs) two-part. Well, I I actually did see what I believe was a part of one in Michigan. Um, It was in the Manistee National Forest, uh, kind of near... um, Oh, let's see, Luther in that area. And what happened was uh, I was there with a History Channel uh, cameraman. We were following up on a sighting that several people had had. And it was this lonely, completely desolate gravel road in the middle of nowhere. Um, it was about 3 a.m. because that's we had staked it out for the night. We'd been there a lot of the daytime. There was one semi-abandoned old uh, schoolhouse-type building real nearby, and it was 90 degrees at that time of, of the of the night and fixing to uh, storm. Thunderstorms were coming in. There was lightning. And all night long, so it was really creepy as it was, and all night long we see yellow eye shine in the bushes that's the natural canine eye shine we'd hear things running um, at one point I heard something huge shaking out its fur like a dog would shake water out of its fur mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I looked down the road to where we had a spotlight set up and things had been running just kind of at the edge of that and as I looked I saw something ju- the light just caught the spine of something and it was covered with gray fur and it was at least seven feet tall because it, as it crossed the road, it blotted out for for just a moment um, a reflective road sign that we measured as seven feet tall. And one of the witnesses that was with us also saw it and at that point became so frightened they insisted we go home because they'd been uh, their car had been chased by one of these creatures. They had actually seen two different ones. Uh, Reed City is probably the closest to it. And that whole Manistee Forest area is um, probably the the place where most of the sightings are. There's another batch down around the Kalamazoo and State Line area. And then um, up in the UP, too, I'm getting more and more reports. But the Manistee For- National Forest is is the big one in Michigan. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Now, Steve, you don't have any of these creatures in the UK, do you? Uh, no, we don't. We have we have um, our fair share of black dogs. We have our fair share of uh, crypto and uh, supernatural creatures, but uh, nothing nothing like Yeti, nothing like the the dog face monster, or um, you know, our our our, uh, our supernatural dogs tend to have the glowing black eyes. Out here in Wales, where I am, we have. Um, there are reports of, of supernatural bear-like creatures, but they're, they're only historical accounts. There's no recent accounts, mm-hmm. um, along with black calves and uh, other, you know, sort of uh, creatures that are linked to the devil or... or the black or shucks and... Uh... The black shucks, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same creature. It's just the different regional variations. Here in Wales, you have black calves, black dogs, and there are one or two bear-related uh, 
supernatural creatures, but nothing, nothing on the scale that you've got over there. You have you have the monopoly of goat suckers and tuba <laughs> uh, capra. It's the same thing basically. But you well, know, all you, the, you think about it, we're a much larger country, so that would make sense actually. Well, yeah, you get, I guess, and uh, but certainly we're you know out, out out in you know we we're a very small island, but nonetheless there are some very big spaces where you could where you could hide some you know some populations of small uh, you know of creatures. As we're talking about, as we started the show about Loch Ness. Um, it is an enormous body of water, and the way it's uh, the way it's surrounded by the roads, you would think that you couldn't hide very much there. But from a personal from personal experience visiting, you could put a nuclear submarine into that lock, and not very many people would notice it. So awesome. you don't have to have a great deal of space to hide something. Yeah, well, the question is not hiding something, but how they get there originally. I mean, we were uh, much connected to South America, connected even to uh, Asia uh, at one time. So it makes sense that we have more opportunities to have unknown species of of um, animals than well, you. Yeah, but I mean, you know, ten thousand years ago, we were connected to the rest of the world because the English Channel and the North Sea weren't there. We weren't an island. So, you know, the, the great sort of continental landmass of, of Europe and Russia and, and it across into Asia, we were just one part of that, uh, you know. So it was only with, with the end of the Ice Age that the North Sea and the English Channel formed and created the island that is Great Britain. So, Linda, let me ask you that. Why do you think we have many more reports than the UK? Well, um, I have two observations. One is that... The um, the UK, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't really have a wild wolf population the way that the United States does. And I do think that there's a chance that um, these creatures, at least, again, the type that is the, the 90% reported that don't really show supernatural characteristics, could just be some type of adapted large wolf subspecies that has learned to walk upright when it serves its needs. And there are a lot of um, advantages that, that I think would accrue from this sort of thing. And um, it's sort of borne out by one, the one thing that people will describe who have a good look at this. Um, there, it, hasn't, it doesn't have human parts. And they'll say it had paws and claws, not hands, but the paws were elongated and they were, or they were bigger or the, the, it had, it was walking on its toe pads, but the toe pads seemed larger than a normal dog's. So, you know, it might just be that we've still have this natural wolf population that has perhaps adapted to walk upright while, you know, the, the UK doesn't have that. The other thing is that when you mentioned the black phantom dogs, um, those things do show up in the minority of reports. And they, again, are very different. They're much more like the things in the U.K. and Europe, um, old Germany, um, all, all of those those uh, more ancient stories in that um, they're likely to show up just just as likely to show up in people's bedrooms as, as outdoors. They have the glowing red eyes, which is not the normal color for, for canine eye shine. Um, oftentimes they show up as huge quadrupeds or four-footed animals rather than walking on their hind legs. Um, they have this, they will often be seen to um, suddenly appear and disappear. People have seen them, you know, the, 
look, they're looking at them and then they just sort of fade out. So they do behave in a supernatural way. And uh, they're just much, much different than the normal things that, that uh, people report. But those things also do exist. And I think that those are perhaps uh, something that are a global phenomena and, and a different sort of creature altogether than the upright ones. Okay. So uh, your book is called Monsters in America, so it's, it's more than just dogmen and yes. uh, werewolves. Uh, what are some of the other uh, cryptos that are in it? Well, in this book, the, the reason I wrote it was um, I just over the years have become astounded at the, the variety of unknown creatures that people see around uh you know, I limited myself to mostly the Americas, although it, it is worldwide that these things show up. Um, and I divided them into three sections, trying to um, organize them in, in some way, because, and, and I still didn't get all of them in, and it's a pretty thick paperback. Um, but I go by creatures that appear by air, by sea, and by land. So it takes everything from very large unknown birds, and I'm talking... Um, feathered birds, um, bat-winged creatures, and then you have the leathery... Pardon? Thunderbirds? Uh, uh, well, yeah, the thunderbirds are the, the Native American term um, for huge birds that are considered part spirit birds, and they usually, people will apply that term to any large bird, but nor, if you research it, which I did, you can find out that most of the ones called thunderbirds are the um, feathered hawk or raptor types. They're just supposed, they're supposed to be gigantic raptor type birds. Um, big giant owls are another one, and you've got those in the UK. I know because I did um, take a little detour in the book and, and talk about uh, one or two of, of those incidents. And also, um, the UK and, and Europe have these giant eagle owls, which I think may be mistaken for large birds in some cases. But there's also the ones that look like um, ancient pterosaurs, or people will say pterodactyl, but there's a whole variety of pterosaurs. You think of the ones that are in Jurassic Park. There are quite a few sightings of things that sound just like that over Ohio and Pennsylvania and Texas. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. One of my favorite flying things is called bat squatch. And this was named by a, a, its first person to uh, report it to the press was a young man in Tacoma, Washington, and uh, I think in, I think it was in the seventies. And they call it that because it's a combination of Sasquatch because it looks like this big furry thing that's not a bat, but gets around with giant bat-like wings. And usually the wing spread is said to be fifteen to 20 feet and we currently have bat squatch sightings going on right up to this day there have been three of them three different flaps over the city of chicago um they're all the way out to the east coast um some of the descriptions of the very famous mothman that uh was the flying creature seen by hundreds of people around point pleasant west virginia in the mid-60s, and actually still up till today, according to some. Um, some people describe that as looking more like um, a Batman, you know, with, with those those wings. We've had sightings in Wisconsin. So um, such a weird creature and so many sightings by sober, incredible people. 
Well, and we I, have to take a break right now, Linda. Sure. So I'm gonna you know, we'll go on and talk some about some of these other monsters, and and uh, actually I want to ask a question about another one too. So, anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet Parex Ghost Channel and Planet Paranormal and so forth and so forth. And we'll be right back after the following. Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be with remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased. We'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Greetings and felicitations. I am Ron Cola, New England's own Van Helsing. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the Blonde Bombshell. And we're here at the elegant Benford Hall, the Downton Abbey of Venice. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you. Tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. On Tokenet, Parax, Ghost Channel, and Planet Paranormal. You can even listen live on your smartphone with your TuneIn app or catch the podcast on iTunes. And now, time for tea. And we're back, part two of Ghost Chronicles International After. Do you know, I, I love the uh, ad-breaking on this show, particularly now that we have the uh, New England version of Downtown Abbey with those appalling English accents. But nonetheless, tonight we're not talking about appalling English accents. We're talking dog monsters and other assorted monstrous beasties with Linda Godfrey. Aren't yeah. 
<laughs> oh, we? Well, that was the link to you to ask the two questions that you said you wanted to ask before we went to the break. Oh, I did. Oh. <laughs> Wendy, you still with us? I'm here. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I <sighs> thought it was going too well. <laughs> did the uh, did the uh, the Mothman fit into your book at all? In, in these flying ones? Oh yes, yeah. Um, the whole first third of the book is about flying creatures, and uh, I because Mothman is so well known, and so many people are very curious about it. Uh, you know, it was definitely a part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually have someone in the chat room has in the Parax chat room has got a lot of questions uh, or comments. Really, he said Basquast was a flying cryptid that was allegedly sighted near Mount Saint Helens. It resembles a flying primate mm-hmm. similar to the Ahu or the orange body of Southeast Asia, although it was sighted only once for a brief moment in a whisper witness allegedly took something whatever well actually you know i interviewed the um the, the witness is, is uh I, I believe passed on but um i interviewed the newspaper man who interviewed him at the time and has who spent quite a bit of time um talking to this young man and he told me that um, what he came away with at, at the time was that he was very well adjusted, that he hadn't been on anything. He had great recommendations from everyone who knew him. And um, this uh, reporter said that he really felt that the young man was quite sincere. And the thing is, that that particular encounter, uh, you know, the caller is right, it, it wasn't an ongoing thing with this young man, but... It's been seen other places all over the country since. Sim- things with very, very similar descriptions anyway. Okay. We do have another question, actually, from the uh, Toggy chat room. Um, from, it's it's a, uh, from Kirsten, who's asking, have you ever heard about giant people? Uh, because she reports uh, people, or I'm guessing people, 12 feet tall. Uh, in her own backyard in New England. Um, she's seeing these people, or I mean, that's that's pretty unusual. That's not the kind of report that I usually get. I think there's a lot going on um, in in the. There are a lot of books. There's a brand new TV show, um, seeking for the lost ancient giant people because um, it's just. <coughs> There's a, a resurgence of interest in these Native American burials that turn out to have um, skeletons of people who were between seven and nine feet tall with massive skulls and double rows of teeth. And this is something that I've been interested in and looking up for about uh, ten years because uh, uh, two of my books are Weird Wisconsin and Weird Michigan in the Weird U.S. series from Barnes and Noble, and I had to uh, look up and, and interview um, local people because there was such a burial about ten miles from my own house back in the early 1900s, and I've been looking into that for a long time. Where they had they opened up a, a cone-shaped effigy mound and there were two of these individuals there were other skeletons in the same tomb and in another one that was open that weren't as big but they had two of these eight foot skeletons with their heads bashed in 
So they had evidently died some sort of violent death. Huge, massive skulls with sloping foreheads that went straight back from the eyebrows, not the usual um, human, you know, upright type of skull. And they had the double rows of teeth. They didn't have any um, implements on them, or they weren't buried with uh, jewelry or anything like that. But um, the thing that happens is, in most of these cases, you try and track down the skeletons, and and they're not available anymore. Well, yeah, that whole new program is, deals with the, these giants, and two brothers search for right. Them. Yeah, yeah, it's a great but, show. I I've watched a couple of them. I I'm just to clarify, well and just to clarify from Kirsten. Um, it was uh, she actually saw one of these tall individuals in her backyard. Did she feel it was a phantom apparition I, or a natural creature or human flesh and blood? Because well, maybe we can maybe we can get um, Kirsten to come on the show uh, and clarify that at some future yeah, date. But I, yeah. Or, or put you two in touch directly. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, I'd so, love to hear from so her. So she yeah. says the guy looked entirely normal, very healthy, but unimaginably tall. Interesting. Well, anybody who wants to talk uh, or report something to me can go to lindagodfrey.com, and there's a form that you can um, send a report on it. It will come straight to me. And you can also email me at lindagodfrey99 at gmail.com. So she can, they can get a hold of me either way. I'm also on Facebook. I'm as Linda Godfrey and Linda S. Godfrey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, in New England, we have our own cryptozoologist in Lauren Coleman, who's been around for... Oh, yes. Yes, I've met Lauren. We've, we've, been, uh, we've communicated for, for years, and, and mm-hmm. I've met him, actually. And up in Portland, he has his little museum of the weird things. Yes. Have you been there? Unfortunately, no, no. Maine, Maine is a place I would really like to get to because um, I've actually investigated um, um, a couple of things. There's one very well-known now incident that was in Real Wolfmen that was portrayed on Paranormal Witness on TV. Um, I called it the Maine Wolf Pack because there were was a, a husband and wife who had five upright dogmen stalking them while, as they sat on their own porch at night and not only just stalking them but flanking them two on one side three coming from another and they just happened to shine their spotlight out on the yard because uh, they had a bad feeling or they wouldn't have really even known that they were there and they were held hostage in their house overnight they called 911 they called um, oh, wow. the uh, animal control people and nobody would come out and help them and uh, they moved not too long after that incident, uh, which was about uh, five or six years ago. And and uh, they gave me witness sketches, both both the husband and the wife, and and uh, it's become very well known. So I I've talked to that woman a lot, and I'd like to get out and meet her. And I'm currently investigating and uh, interviewing a woman who is a Native American from Maine who had childhood experiences with Bigfoot in the northern part of Maine as she was growing up. The thing with Bigfoot is uh, I keep seeing on different um, internet feeds um, that, you know, people have shot them, people have claimed to have got astonishing video, somebody's claimed to have fur. And when when all of these claims are put to the test, uh, they, they're always found to be wanting. There was a documentary series here where uh, a research professor in genetics and mm-hmm. DNA 
travelled to America and collected what was supposed to be the five, four or five best examples of uh, DNA evidence of Bigfoot in the form of fur or skin samples. And in every single case, they were found not to be evidence of, of a, a cryptid creature. Where is the evidence apart from these sightings? Because every you know people do claim to have um, bits of you know Bigfoot, bits of the Yeti, right. but they right. don't stack up, do they, when they're tested? Well, the thing is, there there has been kind of an ongoing attempt to to get DNA testing done, and unfortunately, some of them uh, just have not been careful about the provenance or the. Uh, origin of some of the samples that they've gotten and when they have um, unfortunately when you get a sample like that that you can't um, identify as anything else it just has to go as unidentified because there is no established base sample of a Bigfoot to compare it to you know what I'm saying um, if you if you're trying to um, identify some species of wild dog, well, you've got all kinds of wild canine um, species that you can compare it to and look at. They, the best they can do with Bigfoot, if it is actually something that has come from, um, you know, that, that isn't identifiable as another known species, is some unknown primate, usually. And there have been uh, some cases where they've had unknown primate, but there's nothing to prove it. Bigfoot, because we we don't have nobody has has been able to put a specimen of a Bigfoot in front of people, um, take off hair samples or tissue samples, test them, and then say and and show all the way through that they came from this particular creature, and then say okay now we've got the baseline we know that's a Bigfoot we took its hair and tissue samples, now we've got the baseline to compare all other samples against, you know, and we just don't have that. I, I say the, 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 the DNA was sampled by um, one of the world's leading DNA uh, professors, but mm-hmm. what was interesting in, in, in terms of the collection of the samples was that they actually went to some of the American top researchers into Bigfoot uh, and asked them what were the, you know, what were the very best samples, what was the best evidence that they had available. Mm-hmm. And they, they collected, the, uh, the, you know, they were the samples that they used. And in, say in every case, there was no unknown primates. There was no unknown um, creatures. They were all identified as a known uh, specimen of a living creature. Yeah, I think I know the one that you're that you're talking about, and yeah, it's it's really frustrating for anybody in the field to have so many um, or so many reports from people of what seems to be a very physical creature, and to have castings of the footprints and um, very good daytime sightings, and then it's just like the will o' the wisp when you go after trying to get um, samples of it. I've had uh, personal experience where um, in areas where there have been dogman prints and Bigfoot prints and sightings galore that we've set out bait and put up several different types of trail cams all trained on it and things happen to the bait, inexplicable things. They, some, you can see where something has picked it up and gone over a um, barbed wire fence with it and 
traded off across a field, and yet in every case, um, something happens to the camera just during the time when the carcass is carried off or taken or eaten or whatever. Um, sometimes there's a strange mist that comes and obscures everything. Sometimes the camera field goes black or white or the camera is inexplicably, inexplicably twisted upward so that it's just temporarily away from uh, what's happening. So um, that's another frustration is it's just almost impossible to get a clear photograph of them. And, you know, there's so many pictures on the Internet, and people send them to me all the time, too, where it's something brown in the trees, you know, is, is about the best you can say, or this faraway, fuzzy, dark speck. And it may well be that the person who was there actually did see the creature that they're describing, but it is never captured well enough on film to be proof. It sounds very much like the world of ghost investigation, actually. We it have, is. Um, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very similar in terms of this mm-hmm. striving for that one piece of evidence that would uh, give us the information that we need. Right, exactly. I mean, you look at the number of reports on the Yeti alone and, you know, Arthur C. Clarke when he did that uh, special on it. I mean, uh, Hillary and uh, the uh, skull that the, that the Sherpas had and all that. And, and yet there's been no solid evidence that is accepted by the, uh, you know, scientific community on it. Yeah, I think that that, um, that, sh- that skull thing was shown to be from some other animal at, right. at some it point. Was. You know, I, yeah, yeah I, it wasn't ever actually think, a, a yeti skull, unfortunately. Yeah, I think one of the differences, Ron, uh, between uh, cryptozoology and uh, certainly ghost investigation is that that science is actually more accepting. I would say of cryptozoology because science knows. In fact, you know, there are lots of uh, biologists. Uh, out yeah, there discovering new species, exactly. exactly, and yeah. ev- you know even quite large, um, you know deer type, uh, deer size species uh, coming out of uh, Southeast Asia on an almost monthly basis. Mm-hmm. So, brand, I, new, brand new ox or, or some type of. Yeah. Uh, animal that was just discovered a little while ago. So I, I think they're much more accepting of the possibility of a large animal rather than, you know, a, a dead person floating back through the door. We well, that get... could be. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, that was my, my entire comment. So that's okay. Uh, we actually had a question from uh, Pararex again. It said the Plum Island Animal Disease Center of New York, uh, they had some type of... Uh, Escapes where the animals escaped and and they were washed up and they they drowned and and people thought they were strange ba- uh, beasts but they were, were just diseased animals. Are you familiar with that one? Yeah, um, that is in that is covered in American Monsters. I couldn't uh, do this book without that. Um, yeah, the plum the Plum Island facility is also the subject of numerous rumors. You know, there are always um, supposed to be. Um, ex- animal experimentations and then these crazy hybrids escape and um, then whenever something does wash up on the beach there, um, there's one famous one called the Montauk Monster for instance. Oh, yeah. um, I think you'll also be familiar with the Tembi Monster which is like its twin from last year. Right, exactly, exactly. And they're generally um, 
kind of damaged by the water. They're bloated. You know, a lot of the fur is washed away. Um, their skin will be shriveled away from both the, the muzzle and uh, the paws so that their claws and their teeth look longer than they normally are. And um, there was one that had what they call the Montauk monster was supposed to have had this crazy-looking beak, and it did. It was really weird-looking when you saw it, but it wasn't big. It was the size of a small to medium-sized dog, and the, the uh, photographs were, you know, where you couldn't really tell exactly how large it was, I think, were what really grabbed the public at first. And... There, there have been very good explanations of, um, you know, how the physiological changes that would have happened to the animal to make it look grotesque, hairless, and bloated with when the facial tissues then decompose and leave a defleshed snout um, and eventually a totally defleshed skull. Um, it just looks really weird. I mean, that's that's the case in so many of them. Uh, you know, we have sea monsters that, that they, they look for sure like they're sea monsters, but really, that, as you mentioned, and the chica, cheap, I can't even say that, chica quabra or whatever it is. Chupacabra. Uh, thank you so much. Sure. Uh, some say that it's just a mangy um, uh, coyote or something. I forget what the other. The, well, you the, know, there, I, I do, I have, of course, a chapter on the chupacabras, and um, there, I seem to find two different types, and I think other people agree with me. There was a creature that was seen in the uh, starting in the mid '60s around Puerto Rico and some neighboring countries, um, even all the way up into Mexico, that was quite different than what people are today calling chupacabras. Um, this creature was three and a half to four feet tall. It was bipedal. It had three claws on all of its limbs. It had some scales and yet some fur. Um, sometimes it was seen with wings flying around. It was almost more like a gargoyle than anything else. And it had these hollow fangs that it would use to suck the blood from its victims. And they're, you know, very similar to the um, the Beast of Chevaudan, there were hundreds of animals killed. Um, not It wasn't going after people like the French uh, creature was, but um, at least not most of the time, but it was killing lots and lots of livestock. So there was something there, and again, it was elusive. Nobody was able to get it or bring you know a dead one or get a good picture of it. But then, when these things around Texas started showing up and were called chupacabras because um, people just didn't know what they were, these were definitely canines. In most of the cases, sometimes it was just a, again a decomposed animal that would be washed up, and they would call it that because it just so looked it looked so weird. People started calling any weird creature that they couldn't identify a chupacabra if it was in that part of the uh, country, especially, but even in some other states. But um, the most recent case of the the chupacabras turned out to be they've renamed them the Texas blue dogs because people actually did get good footage of them uh one woman dr phyllis canyon whom i interviewed for the book and who lent me some photos of these creatures she had the head of one in her freezer and she had an entire specimen too that was found dead that she had mount mounted and stuffed and these things were um this was a case where you could take the tissue and get the dna and find out exactly what it was and it turns out that they are um offshoots of a combination of a coyote and a 
uh, Mexican red wolf that had mutated to be hairless so that they looked really weird. And what I discovered, uh, I was surprised that hairless mutations are uh, pretty common and that they they can be dominant. So these were um, what what they believed. Were <laughs> Oops, I'm hearing something ringing. Is that mean I'm I'm talking too long here? No, it's a telephone oh. call from the dead. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Cal Cooper calling telephone calls from the dead, so that's what that is. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. It's a problem I haven't solved yet about the phones in here. Oh, yeah, okay. you take them off the hook before the show stops. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work because they're all, what do you call it? Uh, whatever. Anyways, that, I'll have to solve that problem. Uh, anyways... Of all the, I mean, how much time? We, oh, we got time yet. Okay. Of all the, the ones that you have uh, written about, to you, I, I mean, I don't assume you think they're all real, or, or do you? Uh, if if not, which ones do you feel that really uh, are existing with us? Well, you know, as ghost hunters, you, you understand that you have to do find reality. I mean, there can be other realities, I believe, that, um, you know, people may be seeing something that isn't fully present in our physical world that maybe is partly here but partly somewhere else, and that could be um, either something from another dimension or something that some entity that is able to interact with the human electromagnetic field or the human psyche in some way to manifest themselves. Um, that's that's one way of looking at it. Then there are other things that I think are entirely legend. And um, in my book, there's a whole number of supposed human-animal hybrids, such as the pig man, the goat man, um, all these different... Um, there, there, there's several different ones, but Pigman and Goatman are the, the two prime ones that if you look at them, um, you'll find these specific legends and stories associated with them that um, really make them seem more like a legend and a myth that has grown up than actual observations by, by people of, of uh, some type of existing entity or creature. Okay. Do you go along with any of the uh, the uh, conspiracy theories, like uh, you know, it's government, uh, you know, messing where they shouldn't mess, and like the Germans attempted to do in World War Two, actually. Well, I don't put anything past the government, <laughs> you know, but I'm I'm not a big sp- conspiracy theorist, and I do think that there are limitations that you know you're going to get stopped probably at this point in our technical expertise by the incompatibility of different species with one another i mm-hmm. mean um you know even though let's say um pig dna uh like talk about pigmen pig dna is and pig pig tissue is very close to humans so much that we use them for heart valves and right. um different parts that go in our own bodies but if you tried to breed you know a human and a pig i don't believe that that's going to work you know because our genes are just incompatible in in that way i so, saw that seinfeld though i mean yeah pig man kramer <laughs> kramer <laughs> sees pig man in the hospital oh, I yeah, know. I my that, favorite huh? seinfeld episodes oh yeah i mentioned that in the book too this oh book, wow I, I, I've got to get this book, you know. <laughs> that definitely you do, yeah. But, um, you know, I, I just don't buy that we're at a level yet where we're really producing viable 
hybrid that can go out there and get around on their own in, in the country and be in the wild and reproduce in the wild and all that sort of thing. That bell was real, and that is the doorbell, which means pizza from the dead is here, so we've got to wrap up the show. Um, we've been speaking with uh, Linda Godfrey. Uh, Linda, you want to give your website out one more time and how people can get a hold of you? Sure. It's just lindagodfrey.com, and you can find my li- book lists and um, a blog. Uh, some things that aren't in the books are, are on that blog. I'm on Facebook as Linda Godfrey and Linda S as in Susan Godfrey. Um, I'm also, you can follow me on Twitter, um, all kinds of places to go. Okay. You ever, uh, you ever cover the Dover devil? I'm sorry, the, the what? Dover devil. Oh, the Dover devil. Yes. Um, the, or, or Dover demon. It's, it's Dover demon. Dover demon too. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's in the book as well. Woohoo. Okay. <laughs> So, Linda, we want to thank you so much for uh, taking your time out of your schedule today and, and joining yep. us. It's been really interesting. Uh, I'm sure we've only scratched the surface. We didn't even get oh, into yeah. the, to the ones that go under the ocean and are in the sea. <laughs> oh, there's been- tons more. There's t- believe me, there's tons more. Gator Man and all kinds of different ones. So, it, yeah, sounds well, like, it sounds like the cast list of a B movie, doesn't it? <laughs> it kind <laughs> of does. <laughs> Them. Yeah. There's just an amazing variety. I I was just astonished. Yeah, it is. And um, we'll just have to have you back on again so that we can go into a little bit more of some of these subjects and, you know, keep. And once again, it's been uh, Linda Godfrey. And we thank you so much. And uh, anything you want to add? You're going to be anywhere, any appearances or anything? Well, I just kind of finished my yearly appearance season with Chicago Ghost Con. I was there last weekend. It was a fabulous time. But also, um, I'll if I have any major appearances coming up, I post them usually on lindagodfrey.com so you can keep an eye there on my calendar. And thanks right. so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for Thank you so much. taking the time. Yeah. Good night. God bless, everyone. Good night. God bless. Boo. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good luck. LinkedIn.